Okay, grab your Bibles. Bible, 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 Bibles. Luke. 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 I am your heavenly father. <laughs> All right. Luke 17. We're going to be in 20 through 37. One of the most inspirational passages in all of Scripture. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> Here we go. When he was asking, when, sorry, when he was asked by the Pharisees, when will the kingdom of God come? He answered them, well, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, hey, see here or there. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst, is among you. Then he told his disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there or see here. Don't follow them or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the whole sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, even being given marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the, on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make, to, to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. Where, Lord? They asked him. He said to them, where the corpse is, there also the eagles will be gathered. Jesus, we pray you to open up your word to us. Show us, Lord God. Show us what you want for us. Reveal your truth here this morning. Reveal the goodness. Reveal the power of the kingdom of God this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Yes. Nope. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that. We'll get, we'll get to that. There's a reason I, wrote, I read that, that, that word instead of vultures. So our passage here, our, our point here this morning is the insurgents. This is our theme here this morning. The insurgents, the great insurgents of the kingdom of God. As humans, it's interesting, you know, okay, Little, little before before we go before we start this, uh, this is going to be a very hard teaching. As you probably read, as we read, this is weird. And this is like when we're talking about difficulty in scripture. This is like an eight or a nine out of ten on the difficulty scale. The only thing that tops this is like Genesis one and two and Revelation, right? This is a difficult passage because of what it's saying, because of people's interpretations. You will probably disagree with me this morning but I'm hoping that I will, I will win you over. 
um, either this week or when we talk about it more on the 21st. Uh, I'm sorry, not the 21st, on, in Luke 20, 21. Um, this is a very difficult teaching. And scholars disagree on this passage, even, you know, even still to this day. Um, but I feel like this is the, the teaching that I have this morning is, is the one that, um, that I believe is, is the most faithful to the context and to biblical scholarship overall. So uh, bear with me. You may agree with me. You may disagree with me. Um, but so as we get started, we, I want us to think about all the things that we as humans experience. All of us as humans, we experience many of the same everyday realities, right? Joys, difficulties, um, sufferings, happinesses, right? We, ha- we all have to drink. We all have to eat. We all have to sleep. As the great book says, everybody poops. <laughs> right? Everybody gets sick, like my son is this morning. <laughs> so puking all night. Um, we all walk through those things. We all walk through life together. We all walk through the living room in the middle of the night and step on a freaking Lego. Tore up, tear, not that I did that last night and tore up my toe. Uh, <laughs> we all have difficulties. What season is it? Tax season. We all have taxes. We all have a lack of money. <laughs> all have a lack of time. We all have experienced relational discord, right? We experience technology issues. Like right now, my cell phone, it says it has no SIM card. So if you tried to text me over the last few days and I haven't responded, that's why. <laughs> so um, there's one rule, this, this, you know, there's one to rule them all. The thing that we all experience in this life, every single human being cannot escape this life without having to come to a belief about what we believe about God and his kingdom. Every single one of us have to come to, be, have to, come to a belief about what happens when you die. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Like I said, this passage is difficult, um, especially since it has to be understood through history and context of what the day of the Lord is. You cannot interpret this passage without a lot of knowledge, without a lot of background, without a lot of context. And so I hope to present a lot of that here this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm praying that I'll get done in an hour, but just kidding, sort of. <laughs> so the insurgents, the insurgents of the kingdom of God, the insurgents of the kingdom of God is now, today. That is our main point. So write that down. That is the main point for this morning. So I want to talk about insurgents. Insurgents is an organized opposition intended to change or overthrow existing authority. Insurgency, an insurrection, revolt, revolution, sedition, uprising, right? All these things have, have these things together. Um, but he said this, is, he talks about the kingdom. And the way that I, I, I want to use that word insurgency is, is that, that it's, it is a a supernatural, is a spiritual uprising, insurgency that manifests in the physical realm. Um, and we'll talk more about that later. But through the kingdom of God. And we'll talk a little more about that too. The kingdom of God, is, like, as Jesus says, is not coming with something observable. 
It isn't the sort of thing you can watch and uh, watch for and see coming, as N.T. Wright would say. Um, it's not coming as a military invasion. It's not coming like Russia and, and Ukraine, right? Right. Uh, right. Right now, I think we've seen this in this uprising, this 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 conflict, right? Um, and uh, you know, Jesus is Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees because they asked the question, like, "What is the what is the kingdom of God going to be like? When is it going to be coming?" You know. Uh, when will the kingdom of God come? It's right here. The invasion has already begun and you're missing it because you're unspiritual. He's telling this to the, to the very spiritual spiritual leaders. Insurgents, the, the kingdom. I want, I want us to understand this language he's using. This would be like saying the country of God is not of this world. The nation of God is not of this world. The nation of God is not of this world. It is supernatural. It is above and beyond. It is also here, now. It is coming more and more each day. It is supernatural, metaphysical. Here's the thing, as well as physical, real, and tangible. Yet unseen by mortal eyes. It's here and now and will be brought to full fruition later on, right? The insurgence of the kingdom of God is going on right now. I, I like this, this, this word, is raging. And we'll, we'll follow up with that a little, little later. But it's raging, you know, going to a rager. You know, it's this, it's in, incites this passion, this desire, this, this, you know, uprising of like, let's rage, yeah, let's do this. You know, as my, as my friend Mike would say, let's send it, you know, you know. Now, when we think about insurrection, you know, what do we as Americans think of? Right? This might be an image that we have in our mind. Insurrection, right? The insurrection of, of January 6th last year, right? When in reality, this is what insurrection looks like. This is what insurrection looks like. This is what insurgency looks like. It looks like being the kingdom of God, yellow. It looks like engaging in spiritual warfare through the word of God, through the blood of Christ and the word of his testimonies, it says in Revelation. That is our weapon. That is the sword of the spirit. This is a double-edged sword. One side is God's word and the other side of the sword is us speaking it in agreement with him. That's what the ancient Jewish tradition held. That the double-edged sword is God speaking it and then the backs, you know, because you know it's, it's supposed to be where you slash, and if you miss or you you make your mark, you, you know, hit your mark, then you swipe back and do a second blow, which is usually the kill shot. So it's God speaking and us speaking in agreement with God, is a double-edged sword. This is what it looks like to fight spiritual warfare. Amen. This is what it looks like to kick Satan's butt. Right. right? And our children can participate. God's kingdom, what do you say, is within your grasp, is in your midst, is among you. Now, some people have tried to spiritualize this. Oh, it's within you. No, that's not what the context means. It is among you. It's amongst you. It's in your midst. Where's the kingdom of God? Wherever, where, where is the kingdom? Wherever the king is. The, the kingdom is the king's dominion. So wherever the king is, that is where his dominion is. Jesus is saying, I am the kingdom of God. 
I am bringing, I am inaugurating the kingdom of God now. And I will exalt and glorify the kingdom of God one day in my glory, in my full presence. You can grasp me now, and one day you'll be able to again. That's what, we talk, what he's talking about here. Um, and where is it? The uh, 22, verse 22. Then he told his disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. Um, you will long to see these things. This is basically whenever, whenever he talks about the days of Noah, the days of Lot, the days of the Son of Man, he's talking about the lifetime. So you will long to see me again. You will long to be with me again, right? But you won't. You'll long to see it. Um, you will long or desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. So much so that you might be even be led astray by people saying, look, he's here. Look, he's back. Woo! Don't believe it. You'll long to see me, see me again, but you won't. You won't see me again. It's not going to be a secret or subtle coming like I am here now. It will be obvious. So obvious even that the Pharisees themselves won't miss it. Like said, the lightning strikes from horizon to horizon and lights up the whole sky. Ray Charles would be able to see it. <laughs> right? It is obvious. They'll reject and crucify me now because it's hidden from them. But then it will be powerful and obvious. Then, moving on, he said, then he told his disciples. His disciples. Okay. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> Jesus turns, I want, you know, I want you to see this. These first couple verses are, are him talking to the Pharisees, so responding to them. Now he's turning. He's shifting the conversation. He's changing the setting of the conversation to be more private because didn't, uh, Jesus did not want to talk politics around those who would mishear or misunderstand him, even though his disciples had their own preconceived notions about Jesus, what Jesus meant or what Jesus was trying to change or and, and he was trying to align them with him, right. with his mindset, with a kingdom mindset, right? So he's shifting to his disciples to bring them into the deeper level. So now let's talk about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, as it says. Like you said, like it says, you know, the days of the Son of Man, right? The days of the, but then the day of, it talks about the day of the Son of Man is revealed. We'll talk about it here in a minute. But we want to talk about it in the, in the context of the day of the Lord, because that is the, the theme that goes all across Scripture, from all the earliest parts of the Old Testament all the way through to the end of, in Revelation. The day of the Lord. What does that look like? Um, what will the day of the Lord be like? <clears throat> That's a, the whole context of this passage. Everything, it will be sudden and unexpected, right? Like he compares it to the days of Noah, where they were just going about daily life. They were just doing their thing. You know, it was a mundane day in the life of, of you know, ancient earth, right? <clears throat> and Noah, you know, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given a marriage till the day that Noah boarded the ark. And then the crap hit the fan. And it was too late. Right? And then... You see the days of no, I'm sorry, the days of Lot. People were drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. They were just living their life, preparing for the next day, making their five-year plan, investing in the stock market and doing all these different things. 
just working and doing different things, right? And then all of a sudden, boom! He left Sodom and the crap hit the proverbial fan again. This time in the, in the concept of fire and sulfur falling from the sky. Right? Rain from heaven destroyed them all. It's a breakthrough. It's sudden. He's describing what it will be like. Right? So we just kind of get that in our mindset. Now, the other question, when? When is the day of the Lord? Well, here's the thing where we can see it is the already and the not yet. So, so think about, so I always love to see this imagery of, of prophecy specifically about the day of the Lord or any kind of like prophecy um, is that it's, have you ever been to the Smoky Mountains out in, uh, in back east, no. the Appalachians or anything? So I went to, and I got to work summer, a summer camp out there and it's, it's the Smokies. It's really cool. And so it's just the way that they are. And so there's, you can look down this canyon and there's all these mountains going back. You know, kind of like if you're looking down the mountain, you know, down the canyon this way, you see brighter mountains in front of you and, they, and as they go back, you, they get darker and darker, darker, different shades, right? That's a picture of the day of the Lord. It is the already, it's like the one that's in front of you and then the one that's like 50, 60 miles or 100 miles behind it, all in one picture. So it is both a prophecy for the here and the now the next generation, the next generation, and then the final day of the Lord, right? So there have been several days of the Lord. We'll talk about that. And what is the day of the Lord personified as? All throughout Scripture is personified as destruction, as judgment, as God coming in, interceding, and judging the earth, judging the world. Let's look at the first one. Noah was a day of the Lord. Sodom and Gomorrah, day of the Lord. Let's look at the 8th century BC in Assyria. God judged the northern, the northern kingdom. So, a little history lesson. Israel was one united, united front. They came, you know, Saul was their first king. That didn't work out so well. Saul was a terrible king. David became king. Woo! All right, we're awesome. Yay! Solomon became king. Oh, wow, we've got a temple. This is wonderful. Solomon died. <laughs> Division. Everything fell apart. And so he died. This, the kingdom of Israel split into two. So you had Israel in the north, who never had a good king. Just put that out there. They never had one even shred of, of decency of, of a good king. The southern kingdom was Judah. So Israel, Judah. So whenever you're reading your Bibles and it talks about Israel and Judah, that's what he's talking about. Um, so the southern kingdom was where the temple was. They, they actually had a few kings that were good. A couple that were great, Josiah and Hezekiah and... Um, those are the two best ones. The worst one is Manasseh. Don't get me started on Manasseh. <sighs> Don't get me started. <laughs> Side note. Side note. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> but so we had the good kings, but so we were in this divided kingdom. And so when God came in in the 8th century, so in 700s BC, he sent in the Assyrians to conquer. And the capital of Assyria was Nineveh. 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 A little prophet that got swallowed by a fish and got thrown up, like Jackson throwing up right now, uh, onto the onto the, the shore. Right. Assyria came in and <laughs> took over the northern kingdom. It was a day of the Lord. The prophets prophesied in Isaiah and all these different prophets about the day of the Lord would come upon you in the of northern Syria? kingdom. Of, of Syria. Assyria was the, the nation. The, okay. Then the southern kingdom... Uh, in the 5th century B.C., 
Um, so the Babylonians came in and took over Assyria. And the Babylonians came down and took over the southern kingdom. It was the day of the Lord that Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied about. It was a day of the Lord's destruction. Great and terrible day of the Lord, as it says, right? And then, and this is, this is going to be my point. This is where I want us to sit here this morning. And this is, this is the, the weight of this. It's often usually associated with the final great day of the Lord that Jesus is talking about. The, the f- specific context he's talking about is the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. So the first century AD is Jesus's point here. Um, and that is the, the fall of Jerusalem, the fall of the temple, the fall of Israel and the entire religious political system, socioeconomic system of Israel completely. Um, this is Jesus, is, as we've been talking about these last several months, this is one of Jesus' main focuses during his life and ministry um, that he keeps pointing out, keeps pointing to, keeps pointing to, keeps pointing to. Because you have, are not repenting, because you are, you, are, you are terrible leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, you will be judged. And woe to those who are underneath your rule when you are judged, because they will participate in that judgment in AD 70. This was about 40 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Let's look at this. So Joel, the, the, the book of Joel was written after the judgment of, of Israel and Judah. So this is during the intertestamental period. So everything in the intertestamental period, but, you know, between you know, the end of the first temple, <clears throat> the destruction of the first temple. So we're talking books like Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, we're talking like Malachi, and Joel, and certain books like that, that are written and prophesied to the people during this time without a temple, between the time of the, tem- the first temple and the second temple, but between the times of Jesus and the end of the, his- the, you know, the, ex- the exile. And so Joel chapter 2, this is a prophecy for the Israel of Jesus's day. So I want to set up that context here. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious or terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what Peter quotes in his great first sermon, his bold, spirit-filled sermon after he receives the Holy Spirit. And he prophesies this. He preaches this and proclaims this. And 3,000 men come come to faith in Jesus. Later that day, 2,000 more people will come to faith in Jesus. So in one day, you see a revival of 5,000 people coming to faith in Jesus. Over 5,000 people coming. Because he uses this scripture passage. <clears throat> but it's interesting how, when you go back to Joel, the way that many, many translations translate this word here, glorious. They tra- some translate it as awesome. And most translate it as terrible. Good. The great and terrible day of the Lord. But they all kind of mean similar things, very similar, same kind of connotations. Terrible, awesome, glorious, heavy, like I feel that this sermon really is, like this passage 
is that I feel like when Jesus was telling these things to his disciples, he was feeling the weight of this on him, the weight of this, this meaning of this passage on him. Because he's talking about, he's honing in on the day of the Lord. But it's interesting to see the timeline with this. Um, right, so let's, let's, kinda, let's continue on with this. Um, because you guys ever had a job? Anyone ever, ever had a job? Yes. No, no, one has, no one's ever had a job? Yes, I have. Oh, oh, a few people have had a job. Okay, okay cool. Crazy. So one of the rules of thumb that I've always been told is that if you're going to, you want to leave your job. Right? And some of us, some of you probably want, might want to leave your jobs. Um, if you want to leave your job, here's, here's a little bit of advice. Right? Go get a job first <laughs> before right. you quit. And then tell your future employer, if you do get the job, okay, I need to put, put in my two weeks notice because that's, I'm being a responsible adult. Right. So putting in your two weeks notice because you already have a job lined up. Right? Transition. Don't just quit a job you know, the day that you get another job. Like, give them a little bit of le- a leeway time. Um, so you give the two weeks notice, you have this time of overlap, right? Where you have a new job, but you still have your old job. You're living in the hope of the future and the ugh of the past, right? The reason why you're leaving the other, the ugh, the reason you're leaving the old job. Uh, (laughs) So this is Jesus. So Jesus is establishing a new kingdom first before going away I'm sorry, before doing away with um, the former system completely. So he is building his kingdom while he's on this earth. And that's what he said in this passage. What he say? But first, it is necessary that he suffer many things. So all these things are going to happen. The day of the Lord are going to happen, right? The coming of the day of the Son of Man is going to come. And remember, the day of the Son of Man is, his, is the destruction of Israel, the destruction of Jerusalem the fall of the temple, and the entire culture of the religious system of, of the Jews, right? That is what he's prophesying about. And he says what? But first it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So it's the overlap. It's the overlap of the old system coming to an end, but first he has to suffer. That's his going and getting another, another job, right? And then there's this 40 years between where the end of this season, the end of this, is the fall of Jerusalem and the full inauguration of the new job, the fullness of the kingdom of God, which is what? The church. The church church of Jesus Christ. The holy Catholic church, not little c, not big c. Catholic means universal. Like the church is the worldwide, beyond space and time, people, you know, the billions of people we've never met who have gone on before us, the cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews would say, right? And all the Christians here, all the Christians in Russia, all of our brothers and sisters in China, all of our brothers and sisters in Mexico, in Canada, all of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, France, England, Hawaii, Madagascar, Antarctica, right? the worldwide, everyone who claims the name of Christ and is part of the kingdom, the worldwide kingdom of God, that is, is going to be on full display. That is what takes over. This is the kingdom of God and this is done. Right. This old ways, this old system is gone. He's establishing the new in order to put the old to bed, in order to completely 
dismantle the former, or fulfill and do away with the former, right? So basically, the context, the whole, here's the whole point of this passage. Jesus is basically saying, when you see crap at the fan, get out of Dodge. Get out of Jerusalem. Get out. Like we say, right, right. He says, on that day, you know, on that day, a man on that, this is 31, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. She tried to go back. Oh, I forgot my, my, my nice china. Ah! Right. She tried to go back and, and preserve her life. That's what it means. It wasn't just like she turned back and just looked and like, oh no. She got pretty salted. (laughs) Some got some got that joke. joke. (laughs) Lot was like, hey hun, why are you so salty? That's what he said. Like the point of that is whoever tries to eat, like the like pass with a preserve life or save life or tries to retain his life, tries to save his life, or as it says, um, tries to make his life secure, will lose it. Whoever loses his life, basically whoever loses, you know, screw the fancy china. You know, screw, you know, forget all that stuff. Forget the stuff at home. What? The Romans are here. Destruction has come upon Israel, get out. Here, here's the part that is going to be hard and might hit home and might hit a nerve for a lot of us. God is saying to them, Jesus, God himself is saying, abandon your homeland, abandon your allegiances to your countrymen, ditch your fellow man, do not take up arms to fight with them, run away, flee, Save your life by abandoning all. As you can see, that kind of stings when we think about it. For some of us. This idea of abandoning our allegiances to our country and fleeing to the hills. Not taking up arms to fight and to preserve a nation, but to preserve the kingdom of God, not a country. Ouch. Lots of messiahs are going to come, he's he's saying, right? He's saying, follow me. Run away instead. My kingdom is not of this world. My nation is not of this world. My country, my declaration, my bill of rights are not of this world. Therefore, don't try to establish my kingdom through physical battle or worldly rebellion. Such, you know, we're talking about you know, such, such things that would come later, right? The fall of Jerusalem, right? That the war started in AD 66. So for four years, they were fighting this battle and they kept trying to get the Christian Jews to come and join them. And they were ticked that they wouldn't. They kept running away. <laughs> they kept finding you know, breaches in the walls and running out to the hills, ditching the Israelites. The, the Israelites and the priests actually were killing Christians because they would not fight. Because they were trying to run away. They would be caught and killed because they were trying to run away. 
because they were trying to insurge the kingdom of God, to preserve the kingdom of God. They were blasphemed by all of Israel, by all the priests, demonized, outlawed by the officials, by the fellow countrymen, by their fellow Jewish patriots. And then other things, you know, trying to establish a, a physical kingdom of God through things like the Holy Wars, a.k.a. the Crusades. Which, <clears throat> little aside here, no actual Christian died in the Crusades. <clears throat> we can talk about that later. <laughs> Wars that involve warring against flesh and blood. Anything that has, has, says that you as, the, as Christians should, should kill in the name of God against other inf- religious infidels, no. evil sinners. No. Wars that seek to destroy, not restore, don't be involved in it. This was actually one of the main, uh, main tenets of the early church. One of the, there's, there's like these five or these 10 big tenets of the early church. And one of them uh, in the early church was that they refused to be involved in the army or the military. They refused to go to battle. So much so that they would actually, have, they would have actually die because the Romans would threaten them. If they didn't join the Roman legion, they would be killed and they'd refuse and they got killed because they refused to join the military. Refused. God called his saints to die well, not kill well. Jesus is creating a new way, a new life, a new culture. As the church, we are grafted into his people but now with a new constitution and bylaws, a new vision and strategy, a, a new brand, a new way of entry into this kingdom, a new way of being in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is inaugurating. He's in, inaugurating a new kingdom. It's still the people of God. And people, but now the entryway is Jesus, not the law. So much so that 40 years later, what happened? Their way of entry, their way of being right with God through sacrifice was ended. And like I've said, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. I know I've said it several times. The Jewish people cannot worship God. Jewish people have not been able to worship Yahweh for 2,000 years because their temple's gone. They are not right with God. They have no ability to sacrifice and to make penance. They have no, no way of, you know, for them, their Jewish system is gone. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. Amen. The only way to salvation, the only way to his kingdom is through Jesus Christ, Amen. his death and burial and resurrection. Amen. They ask a weird question. <laughs> Where, Lord? You'd think to ask, like we do in our Western culture, When? When will the great day of the Lord happen? But for them, they understood the context. That's why they asked where. Where will this destruction, where will this judgment happen? And what is his answer? The left and the taken. This is the context of it. What are we talking about? Like when, where where will this happen? What is the, where, where will this happen? It's the context of those last few verses. 
Um, I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be, what, taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. The grinding grain together is a two-person job, right? Um, and the reason he says this, it, oftentimes it's preached, and this is where the disagreement will happen. I understand that. Give me grace. We can talk about it later. The ones taken are not those who have been chosen and, and, and raptured up into heaven. It's not what he's talking about. The ones who have been taken is actually a bad thing. Those who are taken are the ones in danger. Those who are taken are the ones that didn't flee. There's two people. One decided to flee. The other one did not. One was taken. By who? Where the vultures, a.k.a. the eagles, gather. And basically for us, it's, it's, it's like wherever the magpies and the ravens are. Right. Okay. Right. Right. <clears throat> that kind of thing. Um, so what it, what the, these, these are scavengers, these are the carrion birds, right? right? Um, <laughs> it's interesting that our national bird is um, a scavenger that feeds on dead eagle. flesh. The eagle is a scavenger, yeah. <laughs> like a magpie, right. just an overgrown, overgrown magpie. It's pretty. <laughs> Who would have thought? But the eagle for them, so the imagery of the eagle for them, so he's not just saying, yeah, the imagery is there. Like wherever the dead carcasses, the ones who were taken, they were taken and <laughs> killed. And then now the, the scavengers are circling. But he's not just talking about this natural thing of like wherever the magpies are, look for a dead carcass or the ra- wherever the ravens are. Right? He's talking about wherever the eagle is, their death follows. And who is the eagle? They knew the eagle stood for Rome. Eagle, the Rome, for Rome. The eagle was the symbol of Rome. You ever seen a you know, flag? And, you know, yeah. flag. And we can have a conversation about that because America took a lot of stuff from the Roman Empire. <clears throat> oh, <okay>. but, <laughs> we'll leave that alone for now. Yes. <laughs> That's another conversation. Okay. But so the taken, you know, one is taken, one is left uh, because one obeyed and left and the other didn't and was taken and killed by the Romans. Because the Romans, what they, they had to come through the land. And so it wasn't just Jerusalem that was, that was suffering, that suffered. Like, I think it was about... 40 years before, before Jesus was born into this earth, there was a time where there was an uprising. Again, there's all these uprisings, right? All these like, see here, see here, see there, because there were all these messiahs uprising all the time, right? right? And so they kept saying, look, here's the messiah. Here he is. Let's, maybe it'll be this time. Let's fight with him. And they all die, right? Over 2,000 people died, were crucified on the road between Jerusalem and Galilee. Before, but during that time, by the Romans. Families were slaughtered in front of the husbands who were hanging on crosses. They were forced to watch their family be beheaded and killed in front of them as they were, themselves were dying. The Romans didn't mess around. It made you kind of want to be a coward. There is so much in our world that makes us want to be a coward and to shrink back. And to not speak up. But Jesus is saying, don't buy into it. Flee. Not just flee, like run away, but like flee that mentality. Take that way of thinking and throw it in the trash. Put it in the toilet and flush it. (laughs) Those, you know, the bad attitudes of my my kids sometimes are like, 
that attitude needs to go in the trash. So they like, they t- it's cool, it's fun. They like take it off, like, you know, imagery, you know, imaginatively and like throw it in the trash. Or they'll like take it and like put it in, put it in the candle and burn it. You know? Or they'll take it and they'll put it in the toilet and flush it. Like kind of it's neat. And then their attitude changes. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah, that's kind of Exactly. So taking that, that mindset of I have to be loyal to this or loyal to that. I am this. If it doesn't follow, I am first and foremost a believer of Jesus Christ and a member of the kingdom of God, the insurgents of the kingdom of God, throw that mindset away. That's what faith means, is being fully allegiant to Christ and him alone. He demands your full allegiance. Because like I said, he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem. But like all references to the day of the Lord, it's not only the immediate destruction, right? Not only talking about the fall of Jerusalem, but he's pointing to the final and great day of the Lord to come at his final return and victorious return at the end of all time, at the end of all things. But it's interesting, if you want to read, even in the New Testament, there are scripture passages. Most of Paul's letters and, and most of the letters here are pre-fall of Jerusalem. But there are a few, like John's Gospel, John's letters, and John's Revelation that are all post-fall <clears throat> of Jerusalem. So if you want to read scripture passages that are post, you know, after you know, what the culture of Christians in the church is like, post-fall of Jerusalem, go and, go and read John's writings. He waits until after all these things happen to write his gospel and his letters and his revelation. Uh, Or at least when he had the revelation. To give us a picture of God's kingdom life in the establishment and freedom of the new covenant outside of the culture of Israel. Outside of that filter. Um, Like I said, we're going to talk a lot more about this in a a, a little while. um, A few weeks, I think, or... So I think sometimes, sometime this summer, I think beginning of summer, June, uh, when we get to chapter 21, because it elaborates a lot more in chapter 21 about this. But here, here's, one, here's my point here this morning. What do we do with this? Like I said, this is a heavy, hard and heavy teaching, and I was hoping not to go too detailed, too much into the weeds. But <clears throat> our focus here this morning, what does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with my life? Like, how do, okay, what do I do? Okay, Alan, you've painted this picture for me. Now what? So we need to focus on cultivating the kingdom of God now, today. It's not just a, hey, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, you know, and then one day I'll die and join his kingdom. No, the kingdom of God is now. The, spiritual, the supernatural forces are battling right now in the, in the supernatural realm. And it's manifesting in the physical realm, Right? And I can give you several examples, but I'm not going to go. That's a whole other sermon, sermon series. But we have been called to glory warfare. We have been called to advance the kingdom of God through violence. What? In the spiritual realm. Not blood and guts and killing. And We murder demons, not people. Demons, not demons. Right? Unless it's you know, online, demons. I think it's like, it's like a mail. You know, whenever your mail goes to the, you know, an address that you can't send it, it's like, mail Damon. Like, right. <laughs> but 
But it's, it's how do we do this? Like we first, like we have to cultivate the kingdom of God in our midst, in, the, in our church. By what? We first have to be the kingdom. Before we ever tell, you know, and try to get people to join the kingdom, it first has to be healthy. You know, I don't want to go into a place that I know four people have gotten food poisoning in, in the last week. That's not a healthy place, no. right? The church needs to be the kingdom first. So we have to have that kingdom mindset, we, the one another mindset, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, strengthening one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, building up the church in love, it says in Ephesians 4, right? We have to be, a, be the kingdom cultivating this in our, cultivating life here. Um, and how do we do this? This is actually one of our, our, our uh, 10 commandments that we've been teaching our, our kids. Um, so we've taken the Ten Commandments and kind of new covenant, new covenantized them. Um, and so here, here, I'll share with you our family Ten Commandments. And if you read through in your Bible, um, you can even take a picture of this if you want to. Um, this is, every one is a New Testament, New Covenant fulfillment of the Old Testament law. So number one, there is only one Lord God, and his name is Yahweh Jesus. Two, stay faithful to Yahweh Jesus. Number three, bless or praise his holy name. Number four, remember the Sabbath to rest. Take a day off. Number five, number five, honor mom and dad. Number six, this is kind of where kind of you'll, you'll see more of the opposites of the do nots. Here's the do's. Like do cultivate life. Do not murder. Do cultivate life. Number seven, live by God's words or promises. Number eight, be content. Have an have eternal mindset. Be content with what you have and where you're at. Number nine, speak truth. Speak the truth in love is how we wrote it on our board. And number 10, rejoice in others' flourishing. This is our, our family 10 commandments. This is how you cultivate the kingdom of God in your household and in your church in your life around you. You live by this. You live by the fulfilled covenant of the new covenant. Focus on cultivating the kingdom of God now and today. Be the kingdom, right? Live our life. I'm sorry, live our identity. Who are you? Live your identity. Cultivate life. Number three, you know, bring the kingdom. This is insurgence. This is spiritual warfare. This is prayer. This is intercession this is speaking the gospel this is telling people about your god whether they reject you or not whether they reject you and say i don't want to be your friend anymore lose my number you tell them about jesus they might thank you later or they might curse you later if you did or if you did or if you didn't share it with them if they knew that they had a chance but you withheld how will they speak to you on the other side of eternity why didn't you tell me if you knew these things it is unloving to withhold the gospel from people that desperately need it tell the gospel open your mouth You know, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. No, that's like saying, you know, feed the homeless, and if necessary, use food. You gotta do it. 
but not out of this, I have to do it, I've got to, it's like, I've got to do it, I've got to, I've got to. no, it's like, it's you outpouring this love for them because of your relationship with them, you love them. It's not a work that if you don't do it, God's gonna be like, why didn't you do it, sinner? You know, he's saying, no, my heart burns, my heart yearns for you to share the gospel. Why? Because I want you to see people come to faith. It is a joy to fill up that tub and dunk people in it. It is, a, it is a joy and a celebration to watch as people go from death to life because you risked your reputation. You risked your friendship. You risked it all in order to say yes to the Lord. Intercede for them in the spiritual realm. Before you, even before you ever tell them about Jesus, are you praying for those that you're wanting to share Jesus with? Intercede for them. Break off the, de- the, the demonic oppression off of them. You know, pray for them. Fight the battle for them. Fight the, the, the battle in the supernatural realm so that when you do have a chance, when God does give you that chance, they're ready and prepared for it, to receive it. You have to do the work first to prepare, to prepare the spiritual um, realm for them, to receive the message of Jesus. And this is where it means to build the kingdom, to call people to follow. To, we bring people in to be baptized into the kingdom of God, to proclaim faith, to join God's eternal kingdom. <clears throat> because the insurgence of the kingdom of God is now, today. So you have a choice to make. How will you live your life? On the sidelines or in the game? Will you engage? Will you rage? Rage against the, super, the supernatural realm? Will you rage for the good of, of those who are lost? Will you rage for your family? Will you be filled with passion and desire? This be an unstoppable force? Are you willing to make a scene and disrupt your own life and the life of others so that everyone will have, have and experience the same purpose? We want the world to experience the same purpose, the same meaning, the same hope, the same peace, the same love and joy that we experience in the church. We want everyone to experience the kingdom of God. This isn't a, we need to make our church bigger. No, this is we want people to actually live forever and not perish. We want our sons and our daughters and our friends and our coworkers and our, the random stranger to know the love of Jesus. Maybe that person's not your assignment. That's okay. Pray for him and bless him and let him go. You don't have to share the gospel with everyone. But we do need to share the gospel. We need to share the goodness of God. Again, I always try to navigate this, you know, this line. It's not a do this or else you're not going to make God happy. It's do this because it's who we are. And it's an outpouring of our heart and our desire and our joy. It's an overflow of the joy that we have within us to share our faith, to engage in the kingdom of God. And maybe first it's just learning how to be in the kingdom of God. I mean, how do I love one another? How do I bear with one another? How do I forgive people? How do I encourage and build up other people? How do I intentionally reach out and spend time with people? and build up the kingdom of God. Maybe that's the first step for you individually. How how am I a part of this? What is my assignment in the kingdom of God? 
before we ever even engage in, in, the, in the rest. And so I know this, and this has been a, been a, been a long sermon. It's, we're getting on uh, 52 minutes or so now. <clears throat> but I want to close with, with this thought, that God is here now. God's presence is here now. God's Holy Spirit is in you now. God's presence is among us now. He's calling us to love. He's calling us to have passion and joy. He's calling us to have desire for him and for one another. To be that unstoppable force. To experience his presence. So that others can experience his presence too. Experience God's presence together. So as we, as we end our time here today, we'll, I'll put a few questions on, on the screen. But I want us to engage in that, that, that thought process. What does this mean for me? God, I don't want to do my own thing. I don't want to, I don't want to come up with my plans. I don't, I don't want to go forward without you as a workspace. I have to do these things for you, God. I want to first stop and be still and know that you're God and to hear from you, God, what do you want for me? What do you want to do through me so that you can fill me with your presence, fill me with your joy, and then I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. You set the trajectory. You set the way. I'm not going to do work for you. I want to do work with you. Because that's the chief end of man is to enjoy God forever. Lord Jesus, I pray your wisdom on us. I pray, God, that you would encourage us. God, that you would lift up our spirits, that you would give us your joy, fill us with the reminder of your love for us, your complete and, and far-reaching grace that has covered all of our sins and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. God, you are so good. Your majesty reaches far beyond our, our comprehension. Blessing and honor and glory be to your name, Lord Jesus. You are the one that is worthy of all things. God, overwhelm us with your goodness. By the name of Jesus, let us sit in awe of your name. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Lord and our God. Let your name resonate within our spirit, God. Let it be the first thing on our lips in the morning, the last thing on our lips before we go to bed is the praises of Jesus, the goodness of you, Jesus. Lord, you lead us as you desire to lead us. Inspire us, encourage us as we walk with you through this life, as we engage in the kingdom of God, as we are in the kingdom of God. Teach us, Lord, your desires for us. Teach us your, your assignments for us, God. Walk with us, Lord, as you promised to do. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.